Oh, I bring greetings from Newcastle Bible Church to you, Bethany Community Church. What a joy it is to worship Jesus Christ with you today. The songs that we've sung this morning already have directed our hearts to focus on Christ. Where else would we go? He alone has words of life. I pray that as you've sung and as you've meditated on these words this morning, that your own heart has been enriched and encouraged and you've been drawn to worship and to respond with a whole person response to who Christ is. He is worthy of our lives. You can have the world. Just give us Jesus. What a joy to be with you is nine years ago, I got to serve as one of your pastoral interns here for about four months, and I thank God for your church. I thank God for you, for your prayers, for your gospel partnership, and your ministry in our local Central Illinois community for the glory of Christ. Thank you for being faithful gospel proclaimers. Thank you for living what you preach. Thank you for praying out of humble dependence for the glory of Christ in our community. We are in joyful partnership with you at Newcastle, and it is our joy to send greetings to you, and thank you for your work and your ministry here in Washington. I will tell you, I listened to Pastor Daniel's message this morning. No spoiler alerts allowed, but he's bringing it next week. You better be ready. He hit the target, and I am so thankful for my dear friendship with Pastor Daniel. Please open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. This morning, we're going to simply focus our attention on one verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount for our meditation. As you've been studying through Paul's letter to the churches in the region of Galatia, I believe Matthew 5, 6 provides a very important perspective for your consideration. And I pray as we slow down, we're just going to focus in on 14 English words this morning, I pray we will behold King Jesus We will see Christ in a compelling and a transforming way that we will all leave here changed because of His Spirit's work in our hearts this morning. Matthew 5, 6 presents the fourth beatitude. Now these beatitudes are not commands for us to obey. These beatitudes are actually descriptions of what God's grace has made us to be. These beatitudes are describing who are the blessed participants in Jesus' kingdom and what are they like. It's painting a portrait of Christ's likeness for us. In many ways, these beatitudes are Jesus' own version of the fruit of the Spirit. And this verse, verse 6 of Matthew 5, is the first of five uses of the word righteousness in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And that's important because the whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount is how to be righteous in an unrighteous world. What does it look like to be righteous in the midst of an unrighteous world? So I'd invite you to stand and honor the public reading of God's Word. I'm going to read all the Beatitudes for us this morning. From Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 12, reading from the English Standard Version. This is the attention getter of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. 
Matthew 5, 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. Be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thus reads God's word. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, the theme this morning has been very, very clear. It is Jesus Christ. And so we come one more time to remind ourselves and confess to you that we are dependent. We come to align ourselves under your word. As we come with open Bibles, please make sure our hearts are open, that we would not stand in judgment of your word, but that your word would stand in judgment of us and that we would joyfully submit and repent of our sin. I pray, Father, that your spirit would press this single verse deep into the seedbed of our hearts, that it might take root and bear fruit for your glory and for your praise as we become more like Christ. This is who you've made us to be. Please change us, we ask. Amen. Whatever you believe will satisfy you, will become the greatest pursuit of your life. Some of us here this morning, we believe that money and fame, oh, that that will satisfy me. And so we mortgage our time, we mortgage our resources, we mortgage our rest, we mortgage our relationships just to be able to climb the slippery ladder of success. Others of us here this morning, we say, oh, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not money that satisfies, it's pleasure. <laughs> pleasure, pleasure is what satisfies me. And so we give our lives to sex 
and extravagant spending and all kinds of adrenaline-rushing experiences, all in our attempt to find lasting satisfaction. Other people here say, no, 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 it's not money, it's not pleasure, it's comfort. I just want a little comfort. And so we eat too much. We give ourselves over to alcohol and drugs and video games and all kinds of mindless recreation just to try to pursue satisfaction. Some of us this morning are profoundly frustrated because we believe that we will never be satisfied until we're married or until our health returns or until our boss starts to give us the respect that we think we deserve. You see, what you believe will satisfy you, will control you. And it will be the greatest pursuit and the greatest obsession of your life here on earth. What do you believe will ultimately satisfy you? Your life is ultimately controlled by whatever you believe will bring you the greatest amount of satisfaction. But Ecclesiastes is here this morning to warn us that all the pleasures of this world are unable to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. It's all vanity. As C.S. Lewis once said, if I find in myself a desire that cannot be rightly satisfied by this world, then the only reasonable explanation is that I was made for another world. You see, verse 6 makes an astounding promise to our hearts today. Real, lasting satisfaction is possible for your soul. It is but it's not going to be found anywhere here on this earth. The satisfaction that your soul is seeking is only found under the lordship of Jesus Christ. For those who hunger, for those who thirst for righteousness, Jesus' kingdom blessings belong to those who crave righteousness. Those who are starving for righteousness. Those who are suffering the hunger pains for righteousness. In a profound paradox, only those whose souls ache and crave for righteousness will be the ones who are satisfied for all of eternity. So please listen carefully today. Please. I don't know of another verse in Scripture that is more important for you to understand than Matthew 5, 6. And I really mean that. It is here in this verse that Jesus describes the happy acceptance of those whose souls are satisfied in Him forever. If you get this verse right... All the desires of your soul 
will be satisfied forever in the presence of King Jesus. But if you get this verse wrong, the eternal hell of dissatisfaction and torment will be your future. Jesus' kingdom blessings belong to those who crave righteousness. So let's first get some misconceptions out of the way. We need to first understand what craving righteousness is not. We must not misunderstand what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So first, hungering and thirsting for righteousness is not optional, but necessary. Your spiritual hunger and thirst for righteousness is just as necessary as your physical hunger and thirst for food and water. If you don't have food and you don't have water, what happens? Your body dies. And if you don't have righteousness of Christ, your spiritual life dies. Hungering for righteousness is not a luxury exercise for Green Beret Christians. No, this is absolutely necessary for every believer. This is a matter of spiritual life and death for all people. Further, you're not longing for a natural righteousness, but a supernatural righteousness. Matthew 5.20. Look down in your Bibles. It's the summary verse for the entire Sermon on the Mount. If your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus isn't talking here about some kind of natural, man-made righteousness. No, he's not talking about some human effort, some religious exercise. The righteousness that Jesus is calling us to crave is not some conformity to a man-made system of living by rules. You see, humans tend to define righteousness by what we're against. We define righteousness by what we don't do. But Jesus is pronouncing kingdom blessing upon those who crave a supernatural kind of righteousness, the kind of righteousness that's impossible for human effort to ever achieve, a kind of righteousness that perfectly satisfies God's law. This is not optional. This is not natural. This is not legalistic righteousness. But this is the kind of righteousness that that truly grants life, life to the human soul. This is the kind of righteousness that's not defined by what we do, but actually defines who we are. Finally, I want to highlight one more misconception about what it means, what it doesn't mean to crave righteousness. Craving righteousness is not about pursuing happiness. Craving righteousness is about pursuing holiness. Let me explain. Notice the verse does not say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for satisfaction, for they shall be righteous. That's not what the verse says. 
the verse doesn't read, Blessed are those who crave to be blessed by God, for they shall become righteous. No. Jesus is not saying that God blesses or approves of those who make happiness their greatest pursuit. If you come and you demand that God makes you happy, then you have no part in his kingdom. Jesus says clearly, blessed are those who crave righteousness, for they shall be satisfied and be blessed and made happy. This is so important for us today. Which do you want more? Honestly, to be holy or to be happy? Do you put your righteousness first or do you put your happiness first? Are you just seeking ecstatic spiritual experiences, the next mountaintop? We must not twist this verse in how we seek to apply it in our lives. Jesus' teaching is clear. Seek First, his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you. Yes, there is truly no greater way to be happy than to pursue holiness. But listen, if happiness is your primary pursuit in life, you will neither receive happiness nor holiness. For both will be forfeited as you pursue the lesser gifts of God more than a personal, vibrant relationship with the giver of the gift, God himself. So that's what it doesn't mean. Let's talk about what does it mean to crave righteousness, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, first, we could say that craving righteousness is aching for all to be right. <laughs> Just as God intended. When you think of biblical righteousness, I want you to think more broadly than just right behavior or right actions. Biblical righteousness describes when everything is just as God intends it to be with no sin. To be righteous is to be right with God, right with others, right with my world. To exist in perfect conformity to God's will. This is what it means to be righteous. In other words, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to experience the inwardly increasing ache of my own soul for everything to be made right, just as God intended it to be. Now, the first way we tend to experience this in our life, we experience this aching for righteousness, usually first desiring for everything to be made right outside of me. So we crave for social righteousness 
for God's kingdom to come literally, for the reign of Christ to be literally fulfilled in the world so that there's no more cancer and there's no more abuse and there's no more human trafficking and there's no more droughts and and we long for the social righteousness of God to reign and rule on this earth. Perhaps that's what the Jews would have thought immediately when they heard this sermon from Jesus on a hillside right beside the Sea of Galilee. Oh, come and and make things right. Get rid of Roman oppression. Make everything right on earth. And that's certainly a valid understanding of what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But it's more than just aching for everything to be made right outside of me. Most importantly, it is also aching for everything to be made right inside of me. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to crave to be made personally righteous before God. For if the world out there is right with God and the world in here is contrary to God, then what good is that for me? In other words, to hunger and thirst for righteousness means Longing to be free from sin and all of its effects. Oh, I want to be free from sin. Deliver me from evil. Be honest with yourself. Is that the greatest longing of your heart? Is this where you believe true satisfaction is ultimately found? Do you honestly yearn to be set free from sin in all of its forms, in all of its expressions? You see, freedom from sin first comes in the form of justification, where where the sinner is made positionally righteous, declared righteous before God. And this is so simple, it's hard for sinners to understand. But God, he sent his son Jesus, to the world, who lived perfectly righteous in this world. He never sinned so that he might be our substitute, that he might substitute himself for sinners like you and like me. So that as 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we who believe on him might be made into the righteousness of God. (laughs) Hallelujah, church. I don't know if you clap here. I don't know if you say amen, but that's worth an amen. Jesus became sin so that we who were sin might be made into the righteousness of God. Justified just as if I never sinned. Just as if I'd always done everything in perfect conformity to God's will. But the other uses of righteousness in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount seem to indicate Jesus is not just speaking of our justification as much as our sanctification or our practical righteousness. And of course, our justification and our sanctification, they always go together. 
No one who has been granted a righteous standing before God doesn't also seek to live out that righteousness practically in their words and their actions and their relationships. You see, in the positional righteousness of justification, we are set free from sin's penalty. But in the practical righteousness of sanctification, we are set free from sin's power and sin's pollution in our life. We no longer have to sin. We're now, according to Romans 6, slaves of righteousness. All until the day when we meet the Lord face to face and the very presence of sin is removed from us in our final glorification. The perfect righteousness That we will finally be entirely freed from sin in all of its forms. See, this is the threefold expression of righteousness that God's kingdom citizens sincerely crave more than anything else in their life. For the hunger and thirst for righteousness simply means I'm yearning. I want to know God better. I want to enjoy Christ more. To hunger and thirst for righteousness means I want to become more like Jesus. To live holy just as God created me to live without sin in perfect conformity to his good and perfect will. Listen, there is no greater joy. There is no greater happiness. There is no greater satisfaction that your soul could ever be created to know than to know and enjoy Christ. And here's the wonder of it. The more you come to see the beauty and the glory of Christ, the more you will hunger after knowing him more. Hungering and thirsting here in this verse are the present active participles, which means it's a continual seeking. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. The more practically righteous you become, the more you desire to become like Christ. So do you understand what it means now to crave and to hunger and to thirst for righteousness? It's not wanting to be better than others. It's not wanting to live by some religious rules. It means that you have an increasingly profound awareness of your need for all things to be made right. You have a desire to be set free from all the effects of sin in your life. You long to be set free from sin's penalty, sin's power, and sin's very presence. And you yearn to better know God through Christ your Savior. That's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now hold on to your hair pieces because Jesus shockingly teaches here that craving righteousness receives satisfaction. Some translations actually say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled In other words, what craving after God's righteousness receives is the desire of your heart. God's gift of perfect righteousness. Now this is more wonderful than I have words to express. 
Matthew 5, 6 is like a concentrated gospel nugget. It's good news in concentrated form. If, if you ache for all things to be made right outside of you and inside of you, and you long to be free from sin, that means, that means, first of all, you are not satisfied with the status quo. You are not satisfied with where you're currently at. That means you know you are not right with God. You know your efforts are not sufficient. You can't gain God's approval by the work of your hands. You long to be free from sin, but all you know to do is sin. So to you, dear soul who's starving to truly be made right with God, to you, God grants perfect righteousness. Entrance into his kingdom rule. Welcome home. Come on in. All is made right now. To you is given the imputed righteousness of Christ. Perfect conformity to his law. Simply by faith in Christ, your soul receives perfect righteousness and rescue. Rescue from eternal dissatisfaction. After all, hell is the place where desperate thirsting will never be quenched. It's impossible to satisfy a human soul apart from union with Christ can't do it and so when you hunger and when you thirst for God's righteousness oh Matthew 5 6 pronounces that you will receive satisfaction immediately receiving forgiveness of your sins union with Christ perfect righteousness and then ultimately at the end of your days eternal perfection in fellowship with God there is no greater satisfaction possible to the human soul than to be made perfectly righteous in Christ. To be just as you were supposed to be, as God created you apart from sin. Perfect wholeness with his will. Oh, church, wake up. Wake up. From pursuing your satisfaction here from this world. You realize, don't you, church? The dog who returns to his vomit has a sense of fullness. For a time. But only those who hunger and thirst for the perfect God-given righteousness shall receive happy and complete satisfaction from God. So you sabotage your hope. You sabotage your hope for lasting happiness every time you seek to pursue happiness for yourself here. Eternal satisfaction, blessed satisfaction, contentment, all being just as it should be is only given to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
But when you receive God's gift of perfect righteousness, only then do you experience experience wholeness with his will. And only from that posture of contented union with Christ can you ever experience the freedom to really enjoy the earth's goods without them becoming your master and without you becoming their slave. Don't you see, church? God richly provides us with everything to enjoy here on this earth, but never in order to satisfy us. Please listen to me. God provides us with all kinds of things in this earth, richly to enjoy, but never to satisfy us here on this earth. Only souls who have been first satisfied in Christ have the freedom to enjoy earthly pleasures like work and marriage and money and sex and food the way that God intends. Only those who hunger and thirst to know God more and more will truly be happy and completely satisfied both now and for all of eternity. What an attention getter these Beatitudes are to Jesus' sermon on righteousness. The happiest people on earth are those who possess an increasingly growing ache and a yearning to be free from sin and all of its effects and to truly know more of God. This is the mark of the true Christian. Any Pharisee who thinks himself righteous enough for God will be forever thirsty in hell, forever choking on the bitter dust of his own confidence in his own self-righteousness. But for those who are poor in spirit, for those who mourn their own sinfulness, for those who are used to the hand of God and are submitted to his control in their life. Oh, how blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall really be satisfied. Are you hungry? Are you hungry for the things that matter? Are are you hungry to truly be made right with God? Do you see your greatest need as the righteousness that only Christ can give? Don't miss the progression of Jesus' Beatitudes. In verse 3, he taught us that those who are born again have a right view of self before God. In verse 4, those who are born again have a right view of sin before God. In verse 5, those who are born again have a right view of suffering before God. So now today, verse 6 has been clear. We must have a right view of salvation before God. We must understand the only solution to the neediness of verses 3 to 5 is found in verse 6. That God himself would mercifully, graciously, generously provide us 
our greatest need, which is his righteousness. You say, okay, I got a question. We allow that. You say, Pastor, uh, what if I'd have to honestly say I'm not hungry for Christ? I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't even want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. What, what should I do? Well, certainly only God can grant you the spiritual appetite for Christ. But let me offer two practical exhortations for you to feed your spiritual hunger. First, craving righteousness comes by feasting. Craving righteousness comes by feasting. Feasting on the person and work of Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his glorious face. He is, after all, the bread of life. He is streams of living water. No amount of fortune, no amount of fame in this world can ever satisfy a soul that was made to drink deeply of his abundant supply. No small thrill from this world can fill a stomach that was made to take in the supremacy of the glories of Christ. So you will only overcome the desire for wallowing in the muck of this world when you feast at the banquet table of Christ. I love 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is probably one of my favorite New Testament uh, books. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, For we all with unveiled face, that means, that means we, we see Christ with the eyes of faith. We believe that he's real. We believe that he exists. We believe that he's all powerful. We believe that he's all merciful. We all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one level of glory to the next 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 level of glory. Wow, this is all from the Lord who is the Spirit. So yes, you grow your hunger for Christ by gazing on Christ. And the more you come to know of our Savior and Lord, the more attractive He will become to you. And secondly, hungering for righteousness comes by fasting. Fasting from worldly fillers. You will never... Be starved for Christ while your stomach is so full of this world's husk. So you grow your spiritual appetite for Christ by passing on all substitute satisfactions. So, so you want to make sure you're not settling. The American church today, we, we settle so quickly. Don't settle for some form of man-made righteousness that's less than what God requires. You must stop spoiling your spiritual appetite by getting drunk on this world's goods. When you're the visiting pastor, you can say hard things and then you leave. <laughs> so I'm going to say something hard. But I believe from the depth of my soul, you need to hear it. Some of us here this morning need to fast from our consumption of food or sex 
or entertainment or spending and money for the sake of our spiritual love for Christ. You will never come to crave righteousness if you have never told yourself no. A soul who doesn't know the painful heartache of longing, longing for sin to be defeated, knows nothing of God's kingdom and is not saved. Is God calling you to fast this week? You say, I don't know much about fasting. Most most Christians don't. It's kind of gone out of vogue, but it's very biblical. Jesus assumes that we're going to fast. He says it later in Matthew 6. If you need help, what the Scripture has to say about fasting, go back on the Newcastle's website. I preached a message in January 2018 called Prayer and Fasting. If that's help for you, look it up on the website and listen to it. But feast, feast on Christ. Feed your hunger by by force feeding, sometimes our spiritual hunger becomes so weak, we become malnourished and we need an IV. And the IV is forced feeding of God's gospel. Get yourself into the book and gaze on Christ. And as you feast at his banquet table, fast from worldly fillers. And then pray. Oh, pray for all to be made right. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Deliver me from evil. This is how we pray when we're hungering and we're thirsting for righteousness. This is the cry of the redeemed. These are the prayers of those who hunger and thirst and crave for all things to be made right. This is the prayer of those who end up receiving eternal satisfaction. That only God can give. Church, Jesus' kingdom blessings belong to those who crave righteousness. Whatever you believe will satisfy you is the controlling obsession of your life. So will you repent from pursuing satisfaction from those broken cisterns that cannot hold water this morning? Will you repent from from being too easily contented with your own version of religious righteousness, man-made righteousness that receives the applause of people but God despises? Only those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness that Christ alone gives will ever be satisfied. And oh, how happy is that satisfaction that comes from receiving the very righteousness of God himself. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, we want to thank you and praise you. That you are a God who is righteous. You are a God who is perfectly good. You are a God who is perfectly sovereign. You are a God who is full of grace and mercy and truth. You're a God who's full of love. You're a God who desires to transform sinners into your trophies to present to Christ as his bride. Oh, you're an amazing, miraculous God of rescue. You're a God of salvation. You're a God of righteousness. No one can say to you, what in the world are you doing? Because you always do everything 
right. And we praise you, Father, that by your mercy and by the work of your Son, you have made it possible that we, too, can be righteous. But we hunger for the day when all sin will be conquered and put away. Oh, Lord, please come quickly and change us more into the Christ that we love by increasing our love for you today. And we ask it in Jesus' name.